Walker Studios presents Game Master's Journey, your multidimensional RPG podcast. Hello, fellow gamer. Welcome to episode 287 of Game Master's Journey. I'm your host, Lex Starwalker. On this show, we discuss the craft and the art of game mastering. I've been running RPGs for over 29 years now, and I produce this show in the hopes that you can benefit from my experience, my triumphs, and my mistakes. In today's episode, I'm going to talk about campaign length. Although I used to be all about running crazy long epic campaigns, nowadays I think it's a better approach to approach it in a similar manner as I imagine a lot of writing rooms for modern TV shows approach their stories, which is focusing on shorter, immediate-term arcs that fit together into a larger story. So today is a little bittersweet for me, as this is the grand finale episode of Game Master's Journey. It's been a great, fantastic five years, and I've had a lot of fun producing this show. And I really appreciate all of you, my listeners and and all of the patrons who support the show. So as you know, I moved the show to a paid subscription model uh, beginning with the September episodes. And unfortunately, we never got beyond our one episode per month goal. And now we've actually fallen below the one episode per month goal. So the time's come to retire the show. However, I have decided to start a new podcast called Lex Out Loud World Building for Science Fiction. So this show will actually be very similar to Game Master's Journey in a lot of ways and GM Intrusions before that in the topics it covers and the approach that it takes. We're still going to be talking about world building, creating compelling characters, coming up with conflicts for our heroes to face, and so on. The main difference is I will now come at these topics from the angle of a writer as opposed to a GM. However, I think these discussions will be completely relevant to GMs. In a way, Game Master's Journey and and GM Intrusions have always been writing podcasts disguised as gaming podcasts. And I I know at least some of you have have noticed that. Most of the discussions have been equally relevant to both writing and GMing. Pretty much all of my knowledge of GMing beyond just the basics actually comes from knowledge I have as a writer that I've applied to running games. Storytelling is really the main aspect of being a GM that I love and that I love to talk about as opposed to mechanics of a particular system, dice rolling, and and stuff like that. So I think those of you who are fans of the world-building episodes will really like Lex Out Loud because the first season, maybe the first few seasons, will be devoted all to world-building. Eventually, I'm going to get into other writing topics too, like creating interesting characters, plotting and or creating conflicts for a story, setting up character arcs, pacing, etc. So you see that all those topics, for example, are relevant to GMing too. Eventually, I'll also cover topics like the business of writing, getting an agent and an editor, trying to get published and, and things like that. But that'll be pretty far down the road. So I've begun writing my third novel, And Lex Out Loud is going to be a chronicle of that journey in which I take you along for the ride. So you see very similar to to Game Master's Journey in that way. So that's why the first or the title for the first season is Lex Out Loud World Building for Science Fiction, because my novel is going to be a sci-fi novel. And the first step in my process, at least for writing a speculative fiction novel is world building. Just like kind of my first step in running a D&D campaign was world building. So as part of this transition from Game Master's Journey to Lex Out Loud, there are going to be some changes. Lex Out Loud will be a free, publicly available podcast, which means you don't have to be a patron to listen to it. However, I really hope that you all will stay patrons. 
I'm trying to come up with good perks for you to incentivize you to keep supporting the show. For one thing, although everyone will be able to get the show for free, patrons will get early access to the episodes. So I will release the episodes to the patrons on our Patreon page in the private RSS feed as soon as I finish them. However, my plan for the public feed for the show is to produce at least four or five episodes before I even start releasing anything publicly. And then I will release episodes hopefully on a weekly basis. So that means that patrons will get access to the new episodes anywhere from a few days early to a few weeks or even a month or more before the episode comes out publicly. And and what I mean by, by publicly is like Game Master's Journey used to be, where you could get it on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or whatever, and you could subscribe to it anywhere, and, and it was free and, and available to everyone, as opposed to season 15 of the show, which was patron only. So Lex Out Loud is going to be for everyone, not just patrons. However, patrons will get the episodes sooner, and in some cases, a lot sooner than everyone else. So to gain this early access, you will actually need to be a patron at the tier two level, which is the $5 per month level. Beginning in December, this will also be the level you'll need to be at to have access to the private patron RSS feed that you're presumably using right now to get this episode. I wanted to let you keep access to the RSS feed at the $2 level and just give the early access to the episodes at the $5 level but Patreon doesn't allow me to do that. It's not that sophisticated. It's an all or nothing kind of thing. So beginning in December, to get access to the patron feed for the RSS feed and to get the new episodes of Lex Out Loud early, you'll need to be at the $5 level. Also beginning in December, you'll need to be at the $5 level to gain access to the patron channel on the Discord server. And I'm going to be getting rid of the public Discord channel. So beginning in December, only patrons will have access to the Discord and only at the $5 level or higher. I'm hoping to use the Discord to share ideas and for patrons to ask questions and discuss things with me and the other patrons. If any of you are writers or other creatives working on a project, You'll be able to share that if you want and get feedback from the other patrons and, and possibly myself. I'm getting rid of the public channel on, on the Discord because since I created the patron-only channel, people haven't really been using the public channel very much at all. And I don't want new people coming on to see a Discord server that looks like a ghost town because the public channel doesn't have any recent messages in it and, and seems inactive. Also, I want to encourage people to support the show and gain the benefits of the Discord and, and get that kind of access to the show and, and myself. So seems like that's something that should require being a patron. Now, I tried when I took Game Master's Journey to this subscription-only model. I tried tying everything or most of the things to the $2 level, only asking you to pledge $2 a month to get access. And that was all in an effort to, quote, save the show and hopefully keep it going in the hopes that I would see a lot more patrons sign up since $2 is so crazy cheap. However, that isn't really what happened. Um, I mean, I did get a few new patrons, but it wasn't a lot and it wasn't nearly enough. And also at the $2 level, I, I get so little of that $2 once Patreon takes their fees out that I realized, you know, I, I really need to set these things at a higher level than $2. So so really $5 is kind of the minimum that, that I could do it that, that isn't just so little that it it doesn't really help a whole lot. So for $5 a month, the cost of a latte, you'll gain early access to the episodes of Lex Out Loud and access to the Discord server. Now, I'm still brainstorming some other patron rewards, so if you have any ideas, please let me know. One idea I'm kicking around is that I could do writing critiques for people if, if people are interested in that. If I do that, it would probably be at least at the $20 level, frankly, probably higher than that. And there would be a word count limit 
for that. But if that's something you'd be interested in, let me know. Cause, cause I could, I could probably do that if, if people want to see that. So again, I want to thank all of you for your support. And I apologize if this comes across as bad news to you, the, the ending of Game Master's Journey. But honestly, I think this show has run its course at this point. And I'd like to end the show on as much of a high note as possible instead of, you know, beating a dead horse and letting it just degrade and degrade until, you know, people are unsubscribing and jumping ship. Also, now that I'm focusing on writing this novel, I'm not, frankly, not going to have a lot of time to devote to gaming for the next couple years at most. Hopefully, honestly, longer than that. Because if it's longer than that, then that means I got published and I'm writing more novels. So it would be really hard to produce a GMing podcast and have any real new insights for you that I haven't already shared on the show if I'm never GMing or seldom GMing. And if I do GM at all in the next few years, it's probably going to be mostly canned adventures and or kind of simple beer and pretzels games that I don't have to spend a lot of time prepping for. Honestly, that's the only way it's going to happen is if it's something I can just kind of show up and run it, have some fun and, and be done. I'm just not going to have the time or the headspace to spend a lot of effort and time putting into a D&D campaign, for instance. So I really hope you'll give the new show a shot. I'm not making any of the changes to the Discord server or the Patreon until December. So it's November right now. You have the entire month of November to get this episode, which you're already listening to, and to also check out the first few episodes of Lex Out Loud. I'm, I'm going to be releasing those as I make them, which means at least for the month of November, you'll get access to those even if you're at the $2 level, because I'm not going to change that to $5 until December. And actually, as of recording this, I've already finished the first episode of Lex Out Loud. And by the time you get this episode, that should already be up on the Patreon. So so go check that out if you haven't already. So once December comes, then yeah, those will go up to $5 Patreon to get early access to Lex Out Loud. But once the show starts coming out publicly, which will probably be Dece- December or January, everyone can get it for free at that point. But I, but I really hope you, you stay a patron um, so I can keep doing this. I'm also going to eventually release the season 15 episodes of this show publicly. There's only four of them counting this one. So it seems kind of silly to just keep four episodes behind the paywall forever. Uh, so at some point, I'll I'll put those into the public feed too. All right. So that's all that, that stuff. So let's go into campaign links and my thoughts these days in approaching campaigns, which is approaching it more like a TV series. So I think in the past, I approached campaigns more like an epic fantasy novel or or a series of epic fantasy novels, or even just kind of there was no end. They just go on and on forever. I used to be all about running epic campaigns that went from level one to level 20 plus in D&D, took years to finish in real world time, things like that. But in recent years, I've definitely moved away from that more and more as time goes on. Nowadays, I think the best approach is to focus on small arcs, character arcs, and story arcs, and chain those together into a larger campaign. I think approaching it like a TV show is a great way to think about it. And I think I talked about this a little bit uh, last time when I was talking about the Star Trek Adventures game, because that's how it approaches adventures or missions in that game is thinking about it like an episode of of a TV show, specifically some form of Star Trek for, for that game. So you'd plan for the next episode or the next game session, and maybe you'd have a rough idea for the arc of that season, uh, which would be, you know, a few episodes or a few adventures or a few game sessions. But you don't really plan in detail beyond that. Maybe you have some ideas, you have some thoughts, but nothing fleshed out. It's all just kind of up in the air. Now, times were a lot different for me when I first started running RPGs. I was in high school and then later college, and I had a lot more free time on my hands than I do now. 
And so did my players who were also at, at the same age and, and they had a lot more free time than, than my players do now. We often played more than once a week, but we always played pretty much once a week every week at, at the minimum. And our game sessions were long. Usually our sessions were at least eight hours. I, I you, For the longest time, I thought unless I had six or eight hours for a session, it wasn't worth it. Which now seems hilarious to me because I'm down to uh, the last time I, I ran when I ran the Star Trek game, we did three hour sessions. And the last time I ran D&D, the last time we played our, our Blood of the Avatars campaign, we were doing three hour sessions. And for me now running games online, that's kind of the sweet spot for me now. I found I don't know what it is about running and playing online that it's so different than in person. But I just find that four hours is too much. I'm, you know, after about the third hour, I'm kind of ready to be done for whatever reason. So I don't know if that's because it's online or maybe it's just, you know, me being older, I've changed or whatever, because uh, it's been so long since I played in person. I I can't, I don't really know, you know, if three hours would seem like enough or if I'd want to go longer. Of course, I should say, you know, part of those those long sessions we played, you know, we would always eat and stuff too, where when you play online, you're just playing and that's it. But yeah, I used to think unless I had at least six hours, preferably eight, it wasn't even worth it. And we commonly played 12 hour sessions or longer on the weekends. Um, I did that all the time. And, you know, during that 12 hours, we'd break a couple times to eat and whatnot, but we'd play all day, like literally all day or all night, or both sometimes. So, you know, when that's your reality, then these long epic campaigns going from level 1 to 20 or whatever uh, are more doable. Although, that said, we still didn't finish most of them. In fact, there was only one of those huge campaigns back in the day that that I ever actually finished. So, yeah, I've, I've changed my mind about that. And like I said, it, it's a change that's been happening more and more. Over the years, as, as time goes on, I more lean this way, even than I did, you know, a year ago. So why is that? Well, the first reason I came up with is you just never know how long a campaign is going to last. You just, you don't know. Planning for a year or more of gameplay is frankly insanity in my book. Now, if you're in high school or college or something like that, where you have tons of time and you you have really good access to your players where you guys are all like in the same space a lot and it's really easy to get together and you can game a lot, then, you know, like I said, it's different. But in the situation I'm in now as an adult, planning a campaign that's going to take more than a year of real time or even a year is kind of insane to me. I've started lots of campaigns like this and have actually finished a very small percentage of them and there have been so many reasons that campaigns fizzled out through the years. You know, maybe one or more of the players just can't do it anymore. They they move or they get a different job and their hours change. Or, you know, if you're an adult, they have a baby or whatever. And, and so you lose a player here, lose a player there. And eventually, you know, you get to the point where you've lost so many players that you just don't, the group doesn't want to go on anymore. In addition to players just having to leave due to things out of their control, sometimes players just lose interest in the campaign, especially when they go on forever. Or sometimes the GM loses interest in the campaign. Or sometimes everybody loses interest in the campaign. You know, these long campaigns very easily get boring and stagnant after a while, especially if they're a published campaign like what Wizards puts out for D&D 5e, that they're the worst for this. At least if it's a homebrew campaign, you're hopefully, you know, adjusting to what the players are doing and it's more a little open-ended. It's not all planned out to begin with. But when you're talking about these published campaigns like they're putting out for 5th edition, I haven't found one yet that I can play the whole thing and not be bored to tears with it long before it's over. Even uh, Descent into Avernus, which we did less than, I think we did like a third of that campaign. I was bored with that by the end. And we only did a third of it. And we did the best third. <laughs> we did the grand finale. Curse of Strahd, which had really great stuff in it and was really cool. I started running that and I got bored with that. You know, if I ever 
tried to do Curse of Strahd, I would just start with Castle Ravenloft. I would skip everything before Castle Ravenloft. I would just do the end game in Castle Ravenloft and that would be it. And that would probably be a pretty awesome campaign. But anything more than that, and I'd be bored sick with it. So yeah, you know, the players lose interest, the GM loses interest. And, you know, people just, after a while, they want to do something different. They get tired of always doing the same thing. Or they want to do something new. You know, part of this, especially if you're doing published campaigns, is, is, you know, six months into your campaign, the new, shiny, brand new campaign comes out. And now you want to run that, or now the players want to play that. And, you know, maybe that's because just it's the new thing and everybody wants to do the new thing. Or maybe it's because it actually looks like it's a better adventure than the one that you're doing. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. And and then, you know, I, I kind of already covered this, but, you know, scheduling conflict. Someone gets a job, someone has a baby, someone gets married, or whatever, their availability changes, and and now you know everybody's schedules don't don't align so that you can game every week. And yeah, there, there's probably countless other reasons that a campaign can end. And and just looking at it from a statistical, mathematical point of view, the longer your campaign lasts, the more likely one or more of these things are going to happen. So if you have a campaign that lasts two years it's much more likely that something like this is going to happen than if it lasts six months, right? Just because of numbers. So that's one reason why I avoid these these long campaign concepts now. Another reason is it can really lead to rigid thinking on the part of the game master. Blind spots. Trying to force the campaign in the direction that you planned or in the direction that the published adventure planned railroading the players into the thing that you'd envisioned or that the publisher had envisioned. And it leads to lack of agility on the part of of the GM in responding to what the players do and the consequences of what they do and also just what the players like. You know, as you run a campaign, you get a really good sense of, you know, what kinds of gameplay and what kinds of things the players like. Do they like combat? Do they like magic do they like solving mysteries do they like political wheeling and dealing you know all this kind of stuff and when you have this huge long concept there's only so much you can adjust to that kind of thing where if you're kind of making it up as you go to some degree you can make those changes really easily the players love combat you can throw in more combat if they hate combat you can not have as much combat in the future etc 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 Another reason I I think we should avoid these long epic campaigns is not only can it be difficult or even impossible to change course in the campaign at some point, if you do change course, if you make that happen, now you lose a lot of time that you probably put into the prep for the stuff you're not going to use now. So it's a bunch of wasted time and effort that went into the stuff that you're now not going to use because you went left instead of right which changes everything from that point forward in the campaign. So personally, I think it's best to plan the next session, the next adventure or the current adventure and have only rough ideas beyond that. And then as you get toward the end of the adventure you're currently running, then you can start to think about what you're going to do next, what comes next. But if you just started an adventure, don't even worry about what comes next. You you know, presumably this adventure is going to take at least a few sessions. So you've got a few weeks to, to see how things go before you need to worry about what's the next thing. So you can start with an idea for a, quote, first season arc, again, to use TV production terms. So this could be a story that you tell over the course of a few connected adventures, like one, two or three adventures. Once you get finished with that little arc of adventures or you get near the end of it or the halfway point or whatever, depending on how long this thing is, then you can start thinking about the next arc or the next adventure or the next series of adventures. So this allows you to constantly adapt the campaign to what's happening, what the players are doing, what their characters are doing, 
what things they're showing that they like, what things they're showing that they dislike, what they want more of, what they, what they want less of, and also ideas that you're getting. Because it's not just, you know, that the players decide to do something you never thought of before and it takes the campaign in a different direction. Sometimes the players will decide to do something or they'll have a conversation amongst themselves that gives you ideas that you never had before that are better than what you planned. And you get really excited about the new thing and you want to do that. And it's a lot easier to do that if you haven't planned for the next year of gaming already. So yeah, this allows you to constantly adapt the campaign and to move the goalposts, so to speak, if you want to or need to, based on what the characters do, what the players show interest in, the NPCs the players engage with or don't, and form relationships with or don't, things like that. So for example, you know, I I think a, thinking of a modern TV show is a great way to approach this. So let's talk about the show Star Trek Discovery. I'm guessing, I don't really know. I'm just guessing. For the sake of discussion here, I'm guessing that when the writers sat down to write the episodes for season one of Star Trek Discovery, they were only worried about the season one arc. I don't think they had much of a concept of what was going to happen in season two until season one was over. And then the writers started deciding what was going to happen in season two. This way, they could look at where all the characters were at at the end of season one, how they'd evolved, and use that to inform what they would do in season two. They could also use things like ratings or any kind of polling or or anything that the network had done or that anyone had done to get a feeling from the fans of what they were liking and what they weren't liking. You know, maybe there's a certain character that the fans really love that the writers weren't planning to do much with, but well, everybody loves this character. So, so now we're going to make this character a more important part of the story. Or maybe there's a character that the writers thought the fans would really like that the fans hate. And so they decide either to not feature that character so much anymore, or maybe in the second season, they come up with something that changes that character in a way that they think people will will like the character more. And I'm not suggesting that any of those things specifically happen with Discovery. I'm just using that as an example. But those are the, the kind of changes you, you might make. So this kind of thing is just going to be superior to what these writers might have come up with for season two before they even shot season one, before any of that character growth had happened, before the actors had ever played the characters. And I think this kind of approach is even more important in an RPG where each player character, each player can choose whatever they want to do every step of the way. There's no script like there is in a TV show. So you're going to have even more surprises in how the characters in the story develop over the course of the quote season uh, than you would as as a writer of of a TV show or a book or a movie or something like that. Because you, the writer, really don't know what the players are going to do. And and we've talked about that so much on this show that, you know, I've been doing this for 29 years and I still, at best, am right half the time when I try to predict what the players are going to do in a given session. Half the time I'm right, half the time I'm totally wrong. Um, And that's after 20 years, 29 years of doing this. At best, I'm at 50%, I think. So it's hard to predict what, what players will do. Now, you can still have some general vague ideas for a multiple season arc that spans the entire show or the entire campaign. You just don't go into the specifics of the stuff that's further down the line that you don't need to worry about right now. You're just worried about specifics for the current season or the current adventure. That way, you haven't put a lot of time into it and you're hopefully not married to the ideas you come up with. So if a better idea does come along during the course of the campaign, say the players find a better way to to take the campaign, or you have a better idea yourself as a GM, perhaps based on something the players have done or said, then you won't be as reluctant to go with this new awesome idea because you don't have this other idea that you're already married to because you already put so much time and thought into it. So often with these kinds of things, the the best way to really get across what I'm trying to say is just through an example. So for example, in my D&D campaign, Blood of the Avatars, in the beginning, I had 
the overarching idea for the campaign that the player characters were really avatars of the gods who had been sent down to Primordia to stop the breaking of the world. However, something went wrong with this, and the avatars lost their memory of their divine nature. So I knew at some point in the campaign, the players and their characters would learn that they were actually avatars. So I knew to foreshadow that in the early parts of the campaign to some degree, and to start giving out tiny little hints to that, um, hopefully without giving it away. And, you know, I don't want to go too far on this tangent, but but kind of the idea with foreshadowing is when the reveal happens, you want it to be surprising yet inevitable, right? So if I foreshadow right, if I drop enough of the right kind of hints, I won't give away the fact that the players are avatars because I don't want them to figure it out before I let them know. Then I foreshadowed too much. But I've dropped enough hints so that when I reveal to them that they're avatars, everything kind of fits together suddenly. And they're like, of course, that's why this, this, and that happened because we're avatars. It all makes sense now. And I actually did a pretty good job of that, I think, in this campaign, uh, which I'm, I'm really happy with, with how that played out. Um, so you can check out the actual play to, to check that, that out, how that went down. So I knew that they were actually avatars. I knew in the beginning I wanted to foreshadow that and hint at it a little bit, but not enough to give it away. So not enough that they could figure it out. I also knew that toward the end of the campaign, they would actually save the world or at least try to or not, right? They, they would save the world or they would not, but, but they would try. And as part of that, they would get to decide what part the gods played in the new world to come going forward. So things could either stay the same as they were, or the gods could become even more involved with the world and have more influence, or the gods could become even more removed from the world, have less influence, perhaps even entirely removed from the world, all depending on what the players chose. So that was kind of my idea for the end of the campaign, for the overall arc of the campaign. But that was really it as far as the plans, like that was it. There, there were no details really beyond that. So once I had, well, there were, but I can't tell you those because they're spoilers, but, but there are pretty general details like that, not specific, like they're going to do this and then they're going to do this and then they're going to go here. It, it wasn't like that. It was just some, this is where I think it, it might end up kind of stuff. So once I had that and the history and setting information, I felt I needed to make it all work. Then I focused on the first adventure. I talked a lot about this in my behind the screen episodes of the show. So you can go check those out for more on, you know, how I did all that. But in a nutshell, I wanted to take a kind of West Marches approach in the beginning where the player characters would have a few different quests they could pursue and it was up to them what they wanted to do. And I would develop the surrounding area. So if they wanted to, they could go off and just kind of sandbox adventure and just explore if they wanted to. Um, which they never really did that. It, it ended up not really having the West Marches feel that I was going for just because the players were very motivated to follow the story crumbs that I was leaving and and they didn't really stray beyond that. And that was probably partly just the way I presented it. And I'm just used to doing things that way. But I mean, it it worked really well. I don't have any complaints about how how that went. So, so I'm fine with that. But I, I did end up doing some prep, like doing some encounter tables for the West Marches stuff that I didn't end up using as much as I thought I would, although I did still use them. So I decided to start the adventure or the campaign in the village of Dinar's Rest. I I created Dinar's Rest and the NPCs there as part of this. And then the first adventure, the first part of the first adventure, the first session was all telling how the PCs got from the city of Alondria to this small village of Dianara's Rest. So they were sponsored into the Guild of Adventurers by the seer Druinda, who sent them out looking for this rumored last village that they'd heard about in the city. Their objective for that first adventure was to find this village if it existed and if it existed, to discover how it was able to survive when it was believed that no villages or settlements smaller than the major cities 
had survived the coming of the rifts, the retreat of humanity, and the ongoing breaking of the world. And again, you can check out all the world building episodes for more on all that stuff if you're cur- curious and you're you're new. I knew that the village had survived due to a deal made with a hag. So I came up with that much. And the hag protected the village in return for some horrible price that she'd exacted on the village. I didn't actually know what that price was in the beginning. I didn't know that. I didn't come up with that until later, not until I really needed it, um, after I was actually running the campaign. And then I decided that the villagers were sending people from their village to this hag as sacrifices uh, every like six months. And then I later, even later, decided that these sacrifice villagers were being turned into undead by the hag. And that's kind of what was happening to them. But I didn't know any of that in the beginning because I I didn't need to. Once we got into that first adventure, then I started thinking about and coming up with what would come next. It made sense to me that to get the village out from under the hag's thumb, the PCs would have to find another way to protect the village. They couldn't just leave it defenseless or it'd be overrun. So I came up with a couple possibilities for that, which they then found out about from various NPCs in the village. So, you know, maybe that's something I I should pause and and mention a little bit. You know, that's kind of how I approach planning for game sessions is I try to predict what I think the players will do in a general sense. Because basically what I'm doing as a game master is I am presenting them with problems to solve or I'm giving them a destination to reach or a goal to achieve and then putting obstacles between them and that destination or between them and that goal and they have to overcome those obstacles. And then part of my planning is I will try to imagine how I think the players might approach that obstacle or or that problem not necessarily specifically what they're going to do, but kind of the general things they might do. So, you know, I thought about it and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to tell the, basically the players are going to find out that this village was able to survive when, when none other villages could, because it had this powerful magical being, this hag protecting it. So assuming that the players would want to get rid of the hag or, or get rid of, this relationship this village had with this hag because hags are evil and the whole, you know, sending villagers off to be sacrificed every six months is kind of an evil thing. So I, I felt like it was a fairly safe assumption to think that the players would, would not like that and would try to find a, a better way. And when I asked myself, well, you know, if the players get rid of the hag, what next? Well, it's like, well, now the village is un, undefended. And if the players just kill the hag and that's it, then eventually the village is going to be destroyed and overrun, um, which which isn't what anyone wants. So I felt pretty safe in assuming that the players would try to find some other way to protect the village when the hag is gone. So in order to facilitate that, I came up with a few different possibilities of ways that could be done that they could find out about from various NPCs in the village. So one of those possibilities was a rumor that there was an avatar of the god Alandra, who is the goddess of civilization and knowledge, living in the mountains far to the east. So one possibility was that they could go try to find this avatar and maybe being an avatar of the god of knowledge, this avatar would, if not be able to protect the village, him or herself, would have some ideas for the player characters what they could do instead. Another possibility that they learned about was that they could get a seedling for a fairy oak tree uh, from the Feywild and that they could grow that tree in the village and that it would then protect the village from the things that the hag was protecting the village from. So... You know, at that point, that's that's all I came up with. And I think there was one or two other possibilities as well. I just came up with that. That was it. Because at this point, I don't know if the players are going to go for one of those and they're going to decide to do one of those things 
or if they might come up with their own idea. I, I don't know. So I'm not going to plan for any of that until I know which way the players are going to go. So I present them with these possibilities through various NPCs that, that they talk to. So the players ended up deciding to go after this fairy tree. I remember one of the reasons was it was just significantly significantly closer than the Avatar. And, and that was actually intentional on my part because I... I wasn't married to a certain sequence of events like this is the way it has to be, but I was kind of thinking that it would work best if they did the thing in the Feywild first and then did the Avatar later. And so I encouraged that by placing the Avatar much farther away. So, um, and that worked, you know, by giving the, the players two options. And one of those options was, you know, maybe a few days travel away and the other option was, you know, a few weeks to a month or more travel away, they they went with the closer option, which, you know, you you can't predict 100% certain that that's what's going to happen. But it seemed like a safe bet. And, and that's the way it, it panned out. So I guess that's a little trick you can use. If you're doing something like this, and you want to give the players a real choice where they can choose what they want to do. But maybe you want to kind of steer them, you know, you have a preference. And you're going to let them do whichever, but you'd kind of rather they do one over, over the other is put the one you prefer, make it more accessible, make it closer or easier to get to than the other one. And then chances are good that they'll go for that. They'll go for the low hanging fruit first, right? It's, it's pretty, pretty standard strategy. So the players ended up uh, deciding to go after this fairy tree. But the last that we played this campaign they were planning to the next thing they were going to do. And this was much later in the story. They were then planning to go investigate the Avatar now, um, even though this was something they found out about a long time ago. At this point in the campaign, they had now learned that they were Avatars themselves. And they thought that this Avatar of Alondra would be able to give them valuable information as far as how they were supposed to end the breaking of the world. Because they knew as Avatars, that's what they were sent to Primordia to do, but they had no idea how they were supposed to do that. So they thought, well, an avatar of the God of Knowledge might might know. Um, so the last we played, that's, that's what they were planning to do next. So this was something I'd come up with way in the beginning, um, but we're still going to use it when we play again. So I know that hearing me tell this now, it might sound to you like I had all this elaborate stuff planned out in the very beginning, but I didn't. I was coming up with all this stuff as we went along. For the most part, I knew what would happen in the next session. But what I knew beyond that became more vague the farther out in the future we went. So I knew what would happen in the next session, unless the players did something really unpredictable, which will happen sometimes. And then I had a fairly good idea what would come after that session. So the second session but then beyond two or three sessions out, I really only had some vague general ideas of which way maybe I wanted things to go. But it was very much a wait and see kind of thing. So for instance, I didn't flesh out anything about journeying to find the fairy oak tree or journeying to find the Avatar of Alondra other than in general where they were on the map because I didn't know what the players would do or when they would do it. Once it became clear that they were going to go after the fairy tree, then I started planning what that would involve. And I would often, at the end of a session, I would ask the players, I'd say, you know, what are you planning to do next week so that I could prepare? And I think that's a fair thing to do. Although be prepared, if you do that, be prepared that sometimes the players will change their mind. Sometimes they forget when the next time you play comes, they forget what they told you they'd plan to do and they decide to do something else. Or sometimes just in the moment, they decide to do something else. And that's, that's their right. And as a GM, you got to be able to adapt to that. But it is very helpful, I've found, at the end of a session to just ask the players, hey, what are your thoughts about what, what you want to do next week? What are you planning? Um, just so that I can be prepared for, for what you're going to do. Um, and if you have cool players, they, they'll they'll do that for you. So, you know, in the long run, this ends up saving you a lot of time and, and effort and energy. 
I mean, sure, I could have way back in the beginning planned for the Avatar stuff too, but there are three things here. Number one, I'd still be sitting on that prep here, you know, a year later. Um, that still hasn't happened. I'd still be sitting on that, still haven't used it because they haven't done that yet. Maybe, maybe they'll never do it. Maybe I'll never use it. Number two, at the time this was happening, the characters were around fifth level or something like that, I think. So if I had prepared the avatar thing way back then, I would have prepared it assuming fifth level characters. And now they're like 15th level or something. So it'd either be way too easy what I had planned because I'd planned it for level five characters and now they're level 15 or 14 or whatever they are. Or I'd have to redo a lot of it to some degree or another to, to make it work, to make it more satisfying and a challenge and, and all that because there's so much higher level now. So you avoid all that again if you don't come up with these specifics before you need them. And the third thing is once I do the work, once I put in the time to come up with something like that with, you know, these, these characters, the NPCs and their personalities and maybe what... If there's combat encounters, what those are going to be like, you know, things like that. Once I put in all that effort, I'm going to want to use it, right? I'm not going to want that to just go to waste. So maybe the players never go find the avatar. Maybe they come up with a better idea down the road and they never need to do that. Since I haven't put a lot into that idea other than just the original idea, I'm totally fine with that. It's no real skin off my back if they go another way. And I wouldn't be very resistant to them trying something else at all. I'd, I'd be fine with it. But if I'd spent hours and hours planning for this scene or these encounters or whatever with this avatar, then I might feel differently. And I might be at least subconsciously resistant to them doing something else or not a fan of it. And, you know, sometimes you can communicate quite a lot without even meaning to, to your players just through your body language. And, you know, they start talking about doing something and you just through your body language just seem a little crestfallen or unhappy and they get the message like, oh, the GM doesn't want us to do that. And some players will just do it anyway, but some players will be like, hey, let's not do that. The GM doesn't want us to. And and I hate to see that happen because that is not what the players should be basing their decisions on. The GM should be opaque and unreadable to the players, and they should just be basing their decisions on what they think their characters would do and not on what they think the GM wants them to do. So I always try to avoid that kind of thing. So I hope that this example helps to illustrate the point that I'm trying to make here. Only plan your very next session in detail. Have some ideas for the current arc that you're on, which which might be a few sessions or a few adventures long, and maybe have some vague general ideas beyond that, but that's it. Allow yourself the flexibility to react to what the players do, what the players say, what they seem to enjoy, what they seem not to enjoy, and let that inform you as you create future adventures and continue on with the campaign. Another upside to all of this is if you don't plan the entire campaign out, and especially if you don't telegraph to the players what the end of the campaign is going to be, then if something does happen and you do have to end the campaign before you originally planned to, for any of the reasons we talked about before, you can still come up with a satisfying ending to the campaign that works at the point that you're at, that makes it feel like the stories come to a satisfying conclusion and the players don't even need to know that you had these other ideas that you weren't able to do because you didn't play that long. And they're not going to feel like they missed out on something or like the campaign just never ended. It just kind of fizzled out. So it'll feel more like the campaign came to a natural satisfying end and less like you just suddenly ended it at a random point. And again, the, the analogy with TV shows uh, works really well here too. And I think that that's a big reason why they only write or only plan these shows one season at a time, because a lot of times they don't know until sometimes the season is over if they're going to get renewed for another season. So sometimes they, they even have to end the season not knowing if there will be another season. So they want, if that's going to be the last episode of the, the show, they want it to be a satisfying ending and not just feel like, oh, there were going to be more seasons of this show that just never happened. 
So for instance, you know, I, I love Star Trek. So let's take another Star Trek exa example, uh, the show Enterprise, which I, by the way, loved and I think is highly underrated and is very unfairly uh, panned by a lot of Star Trek fans. I love that show. It's one of my favorite Star Trek shows. Enterprise only lasted four seasons. Now, at that time, all the other Star Trek shows had lasted seven seasons, not counting the original. But Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager all had seven seasons. So I think everybody, I, I know the fans were assuming Enterprise would have seven seasons. And, and I imagine at least some of the people involved with the, the show were, if not assuming, hoping it would have seven seasons. But it ended up only having four. Now, they I don't remember or know when they found out it was going to be canceled, but they must have found out fairly early in the fourth season, if not before, because they did bring that. Now, there are a lot of problems with the last episode of that show, which I agree, there are a lot of problems with the last episode of that show, but, but ignoring the whole Riker and the holodeck part of it, um, ignoring that element, otherwise, they did draw the show to a satisfying conclusion. You know, during the four seasons of Enterprise, we saw, you know, Earth's first Warp 5 ship go out and start exploring. We, we saw humans improve relations with the Vulcans to where if, if they weren't the friends that they were in the original season, we, we could see that on the horizon. Um, they met the Andorians, they met the Tellarites, and they came together at the end of the fourth season with the Vulcans, Andorians, and Tellarites and created an alliance, which later became the Federation. And that was a very satisfying conclusion of that show and seemed like it was the end point they were shooting for all along because it just fit the arc perfectly. It was the story of the beginning of the Federation. And it it worked really well. Now, if they would have found out after, you know, the fourth season that, that they were canceled and they couldn't, if they would have just ended it in the middle of whatever, it would have been a lot less satisfying ending to that show. And we would have always felt like there was more to that show that we, that we never got. So I think a perfect example of that is I think the show Firefly. Now I'm not a huge Firefly fan. So if I'm wrong about this, uh, you know, please forgive me. But if I remember right, when I watched Firefly, it only had one season, it got canceled, and it did just kind of just end. There, there was no denouement, there, there was no, you know, end of an arc or, or satisfying end of the show. It was just like, oh, we're done making the show now. And it just kind of ended in the middle of everything. And it was very unsatisfying for that reason. Now... After saying all of this, I, as I said it, towards the beginning, this this is an ongoing thing for me. This is an evolving viewpoint for me. And this is something that I feel more this way as time goes on. And I didn't do this quite right myself uh, with my Blood of the Avatars campaign because my players knew. Well, first of all, I told them I wanted to go to 20th level and hopefully beyond before we even made characters, which is probably a mistake. No, that was definitely a mistake. <laughs> um but my players knew that their characters were sent to end the breaking of the world. And, and the characters knew that towards the end of when we were playing last. So the campaign really won't feel like it's over until they at least attempt to stop the breaking of the world, which they haven't done yet. So if we never get together, we never play again. I think for all of us involved, myself and the players, it's going to feel like that story never really got to the end. Even though we did end at the end of an arc, at the end of a chapter, so to speak, or at the end of one of the books of the series, we didn't get to the end of the series. So we've been on hi hiatus from that campaign for a while now, and I'm still hoping to return to it and finish it at some point. It may be one of the things I, I can run while I'm writing this book because I have a pretty clear idea of, of where it's headed to the point that I don't think it would take a ton of prep. And also... You know, I don't have to drag things out to 20th level to end it if I don't want to. I, I could have that thing; those things happen more immediately. And also, I think they're 14th level now. So even if I did have things happen more immediately, uh, we could still get to 20th level before before we're done, I'm sure. Because um, they've only got six more to go. So I'm still hoping to return to it. But 
that's the gamble I, I take here, right? With, with this kind of a concept and, and with letting the players know and letting and telegraphing this end point that we haven't gotten to yet is that's the gamble I'm taking. I could have tried to end the campaign entirely in a satisfying way the last time we saw playing, but instead I'm hoping that we do return to it someday and that I can end it the way I originally wanted to but it's a gamble because if we don't, then the ending's not going to be as satisfying as it would have been if I would have just drawn it to a conclusion and tied everything up with a nice little bow. So yeah, I've learned this lesson during this campaign. And this campaign is part of the reason why I, I feel this way now is how, how things have shaken out. And just, you know, so much has changed in my personal life over the two or three years it's been since I started this campaign. And, and you just can't predict what's going to happen and how things are going to change. I could have never, when we started this campaign two or three years ago, I could have never uh, predicted that there would be a pandemic um, that would to totally change my job situation and totally change just day-to-day -day life. I couldn't have known that I would suddenly decide to take writing seriously again and start another novel. Like there's no way to know these things. You can't predict the future. So I think if I were beginning the campaign today, knowing what I know now, I would probably do it a little differently. I might still have those long-term plans in mind and, and hope that we could get to them, but I don't think I would let the players know about that kind of stuff until much, much later in the campaign, until those things seemed really on the horizon and like, we're definitely going to get there. Because then if I keep that close to my vest and I don't reveal that, then I have the option at any point I want to or need to, I can end the campaign in a satisfying way and no one will know that maybe at some point I'd plan to do something different with it. So yeah, I mean, that's where I'm coming from on that. I hope that's helpful to you. We've had some some discussion on the Discord about, about campaign length and and I thought... I thought that this would be a good thing to talk about because I, I honestly, I'm not sure how often or if I've talked about this before on the show or maybe on GM Intrusions, but I think there's a good chance if I did talk about it and it was very long ago, I might've had a very different opinion because like I said, I used to be all about these really long epic campaigns and don't get me wrong. If you can pull it off, if, if you can get a group together and, you can keep everybody interested and keep everybody going and make it to the end of one of these epic campaigns there. They can be the coolest thing ever. Um, don't get me wrong, but uh, at least in my experience and in the experience of people I've talked with, that that's the exception, not the rule far more often. You're, you're not going to get there. So I think it's overall smarter to approach it this way. And you still have that possibility of having this long, overarching campaign. And then my, my final thought here, and this isn't in my notes, but it also allows you to do different things because, you know, that's a big problem I have with these published campaigns. Like what Wizards does is for most or all of the career of your character from first to 15th level or whatever it is, you're doing this one thing. You're involved with this one story, whether it's defeating Strahd and getting out of Ravenloft or defeating Tiamat and preventing her from coming into the world or defeating the demons and dark elves that are coming out of the Underdark or, or whatever it is. Insert campaign here. You're doing that one story for the whole thing. And, you know, all this stuff I'm talking about, these published campaigns don't do any of that. And they can't because they have to give the whole thing to you at once. They can't make it up as you go, right? Only a DM making their own campaign can do that. Which is why if you have a, a game master who has any skill and ability at all, and it, not even a lot, just any, and they have the dedication to see it through, an ongoing campaign that they come up with is always, always, always going to be better than anything published. So I guess... <laughs> Since this is the final episode, that, that will be my parting piece of advice to you as a player. If you have a chance to play with a DM who comes up with their own adventures, their own campaigns, even better, their own setting, jump at it and try it. Because in my experience from both sides of the screen, 
those are the best experiences. It's it's not these published adventures. It's the the stories that that you tell together as a group that you come up with yourselves in a manner where the DM can adapt the campaign to fit your character and the players and what you guys enjoy and where you're taking it. And they're not beholden to a written book telling them how things should go. That's really where it, where it is. These, these, these published campaigns. Now, a single published adventure is different in my mind because it's one little arc and you can fit that into your overarching campaign. And I've done that a lot where I have a campaign of my own creation, but then here and there through the campaign, I'll use different individual adventures that fit it really well or that I make fit it really well for whatever reason. And that works really well. But, you know, if you're talking about one of these published campaigns that's the entire campaign, to me, those are the training wheels. That's for you to learn GMing and to get experience running a campaign. But those are the training wheels. And and your goal as a GM, I think, should be to eventually take those training wheels off and to ride by your, on your own, you know, under your own power and, and come up with your own stuff, which, which again, I'm talking about a campaign here. I'm not talking about not using any published adventures at all, because I, I think you can totally do that. But to have your entire campaign dictated to you by a book, it's just, it's not as fun as a player. It's definitely not as fun as a GM. And you may think going into it that it's going to save you a lot of time and effort and work because so much is done for you. But again, my experience has been the opposite. If anything, it takes more time and effort and work than doing it yourself, or at the very least, it's the same. But it definitely doesn't save you anything if you're talking an entire campaign. Because frankly, they're just not that well done. So you're going to have to do a lot with it to really make it work long term to keep players into it for that long. And they're they're just not fleshed out. They're, they're you know, especially the wizards one, they're they're not laid out in a way to help you run it at the table. So you're gonna have you're still gonna have loads of work ahead of you. So don't think that you're gonna save time or save effort or save energy by running a, a published campaign. You you won't. Not in the long run. It, it, I, I think it takes more, honestly. Now, individual adventures are different. If you're talking about just running a single standalone adventure, then yeah, that'll save you time and effort, even if you do have to do a bunch of your own work. But the more of those, the, the longer those get, the more it it demands of you. And, and the more I feel like you're better off just doing your own thing or making your own adventure based on or campaign based on a movie or a book or something that you really like and, and going from there. So yeah, that's how I feel about that. And, uh, you know, if you've never run your own adventure before, I, I really encourage you to give it a shot. If you've never run your own campaign before, uh, I encourage you to give it a shot and feel free to start out with some published stuff. You know, maybe the first one or two or three or more adventures you run standalone adventures and figure out creative ways that to hook them together into an overarching idea and then once you're off and going then you start doing more stuff on your own that's that's a great way to approach it too all right so that is going to wrap it up for episode 287 of Game Master's Journey, the final episode. Please check out Lex Out Loud. If you're a patron listening to this, it, it should be in your patron feed already. If you're in the future listening to this, uh, you can find Lex Out Loud at starwalkerstudios.com slash LOL, as in Lex Out Loud. starwalkerstudios.com slash LOL is where the new show is. Again, a lot of similarities with this show. A lot of the same topics will be discussed, but it's going to be different. I'm not going to be retreading old ground because for one thing, I'm building a sci-fi setting. So all of my world building stuff on this show has has been for Primordia, which was a high fantasy setting. So, you know, might be some of the same approaches or ideas or techniques or whatever, but very, very different setting, very different end result. And it's just going to be different because um, we're going to be approaching it as writers instead of game masters, but but still relevant and germane to you 
game masters out there. So um, I hope you'll you'll check it out and and download it and subscribe and and listen. And I hope you stay a patron or, or become a patron if you're not a patron. And yeah, uh, hopefully I can do Lex Out Loud for five years or more. That'd be awesome. And I really hope you you join me on the new show and and I hope to see you in the Discord. So if you have any thoughts on this or, or you'd like to uh, say goodbye or, or anything, uh, you can email me at gamemastersjourney at gmail.com. Uh, you can get my voicemail at 951-GMJ-LEX-1. That's 951-465-5391. And yes, you can become a patron and join our Discord and talk to myself and, and the other listener GMs there. Everything's on the website, starwalkerstudios.com. I hope everyone stays well and stays safe and take care of yourselves and, and your loved ones and um, get some gaming in when you can and run some games, create some worlds, do some writing if that's your thing. And yeah, come check me out on Lex Out Loud. So take care of yourselves and please game on. This has been a Starwalker Studios production, your source for quality gaming and hobby podcasts. This episode's music, courtesy of Cloudwalker, Transboy, Renfield, Stanko, and Ish. See the show notes for more details at starwalkerstudios.com slash Game Master's Journey.